0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 6. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. Brought to you by KSG Armory Holsters. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023, as of the recording of this show, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm joined by a special guest co-host. You've seen him before, heard from him a few times. It's been a while, and that would be Brian McLaughlin. Hello, Brian.
1: Hey. Nice to see you again, Riley. Thanks for having me on.
0: Brian, for those of you that don't know, is our director of training uh, also, is involved in the product development for everything over at MountainManMedical dot com. Uh, longtime listeners, podcast should be well acquainted with the Mountain Man Medical brand, and so always a good time to have Brian on and and talk shop, so to speak. And we got, I think, a, a fun one here today uh, that we've titled "Updates in Tourniquet Tech." Or uh, tourniquet technology. We're going to talk about tourniquets. Um, a lot of cool, interesting, innovative products that have been coming to market in the last uh, little while. And you know, many people are probably familiar with the with the cat tourniquet or maybe a soft tourniquet, um, and a few others out there, obviously. But there's there's some other things and a recent news story. Brought you know this to I guess I mean it's always on our minds we're always thinking about this kind of stuff but there was a news story that was pretty interesting as far as a real world use of not only a commercially made tourniquet but also initially there was an improvised tourniquet that was used we'll talk about what that story was here in a moment I do want to make mention that today's episode sponsors are Mountain Man Medical and you can find Mountain Man Medical at mountainmanmedical dot uh, and also. You, uh, our, Another sponsor today is handgundrills.com, which I think we've mentioned uh, once before previously, a uh, relatively newcomer to the podcast as far as sponsors go. And we're glad to have handgundrills.com on board. We'll do some, uh, some actual sponsor spots here a little bit later in the episode. And, uh, Hey, while we're at it, we're talking about things you all should uh, make sure you subscribe to the mountain man medical YouTube channel, which Brian puts out some great content there. And since I mentioned it and we haven't mentioned it in a while, you, you might as well, while you're doing that, head on over to the concealed carry.com YouTube channel, which some of you are probably watching the podcast on, uh, YouTube right now. But if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channels, uh, please do so. Um, one final note, Brian, we're gonna see you at the Guardian conference in September, right?
1: It's coming up. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be fun. I'm gonna do a hostile medicine class, how to take care of people when it's dangerous around. So yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, you did a class like that at uh, a girl in a gun national conference, didn't you? It's my oh, button. Well, you were going to and then you didn't you then so we had somebody else that's right. What am I saying?
1: Yeah, I was going to. And then, uh, yeah, I didn't wind up doing it. Uh, But I also will be doing it at the uh, Active Self-Protection Conference, the Bullets and Bible Conference. I think you're going to be at that one, too, aren't you?
0: Yeah, planning on it. Absolutely. So look forward to that. And I guess that tells folks right there, you can, you know, if you want to connect with Brian, especially, he's way, way cooler looking, especially (laughs) uh, and way more interesting than I am. Uh, You can you could sign up for the uh the Active Self-Protection National Conference, also called the Bibles and Bullets Conference, uh, and also uh, the Guardian Conference, uh, which is like September 15th to 17th or thereabouts. It, yeah. yep. I think the ASP one's like two weeks later. You can learn more about the Guardian Conference at guardianconference.com. Uh, still tickets available. Can't promise how long that's the case. Uh, it's always possible we sell out. I don't know if we will. Uh, but uh, we do hope to see many of you there. We're going to have a great time. Uh, I've been working on finalizing the, the list of classes that instructors are teaching. And it's going, I mean, there's some there's some good ones this year for sure. Uh, instructors, including some new instructors as well, some new faces like uh, Eric Gelhouse, uh, a well-respected instructor, uh, retired cop, teaches at Gunsight. Uh, and, other, and of course, other places. We've got, let's see, who else is new this year? We've got Don West, who's the National Trial Counsel for CCW Safe, and Sean Vincent that works with him, putting on a really fascinating uh, legal seminar. I think people really enjoy. A new uh, female instructor joining the ranks this year, Carrie Dudenhofer. She's got this really cool class. Uh, I just call it pistol sniper class. If you really want to learn how to, I mean, really shoot a pistol with hyper accuracy. That's a good one for you. Talking with her about another possible class edition. And let's see, we got Paul Sharp, who is, I mean, that dude's a beast and one of the top, top dudes in the industry for teaching self-defense, hand-to-hand combatives. Uh, of course, in the years past, we, we had uh, Todd Fossey involved, but Paul Sharp's coming on board this year because one of the things with Guardian Conference is we want to have some new faces each year, some kind of switch things up. So it's not the same old thing every year, year after year. Uh, so bringing us some, some fresh faces this year and some of the ones that aren't back this year, you may see again in the future, just so you know, if you're like, oh man, I want to, you know, get with, you know, uh, whatever Todd or whoever that's been in the past, uh, but look forward to, I know like Paul Sharp's bringing some really cool classes. Uh, he's got some knife defense oriented stuff. He's got one that's called Jiu-Jitsu for Self-Defense. And what I like about uh, what he is uh, describing these classes as is uh, they're, they're for anybody. So if you don't have any experience at all, um, you show up learn, learn some, some handy life-saving skills such as jujitsu for self-defense in just a couple of hours. Let's get into our episode here today. So, um, Brian, tell us a little bit about this, uh, incident that went down in New York city at uh, Rockaway beach. That was just a couple of days ago that, like I said, this kind of became the catalyst for, we're like, Hey, this would be an interesting topic for the podcast.
1: Yeah. So, uh, So I came across this story a little while ago. This happened back on uh, the 7th, so Monday this week. So not too long ago, a uh, 65-year-old woman was swimming on the beach. That reports kind of vary between 10 and 15 feet into the water. They say that she was out there like treading water and then she was attacked. So apparently the water conditions were pretty murky. And um, they think what might have happened was the shark was swimming through the water, encountered the victim, and uh, didn't know what she was, and gave it a little exploratory bite to see if she was edible. Um, And apparently she was not, because uh, the shark spit out the piece that he bit out of her. He actually bit out a chunk, uh, spit it out. And uh, one report that I read said it washed up on shore, and they were actually able to find it. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, but apparently the shark did not like the taste of uh, the victim, Um, and uh, so lifeguards hop into the water. They drag her to shore, and for some reason, they don't have tourniquets, um, but they were able to make an improvised tourniquet with the lanyard of a lifeguard buoy. So what they're talking about in the story that I w- I read is that they used a rope from a buoy as a makeshift uh, tourniquet. Uh, but what they're talking about is not one of those buoys that sits out there in the water, you know, bobbing along with a light on it. So a boat doesn't run into it. It's more of like a, the, uh, the lifeguard buoys that they were using uh, to apply that tourniquet. So uh, some reports were saying that uh, she was starting to uh, have some, symptoms that I would identify as potentially uh, the beginnings of shock or maybe some types of shock starting to set in because of the bleeding. Um, but uh, soon EMS was on site and uh, they got a soft tea tourniquet applied uh, pretty rapidly and transported her to the Jamaica hospital uh, where she was uh, expected to recover.
0: Yeah, right. Dude, I, I had missed that part about uh, the chunk of you know her flesh that the shark bit out uh washing up on the beach that's nuts it's wild uh there was some images that i saw in one of the news stories um you yeah, that kind of showed blur it blurred out her leg but you could definitely tell it was a pretty significant injury uh one of the articles said about 20 pounds of flesh that was removed from her leg
1: 20 pound chunk. Uh, The uh, chief lifeguard, Jose Diaz, who was on site there, uh, he saw the wound. He reported it as uh, she had lost a lot of blood. The artery had come out and you could see the bones and everything. It was crazy. He said. So I think uh, something that uh, taking into consideration there is uh, the type of tourniquet that they used in this particular event. Now um, you tend to see the soft tea get used more often in Sandy environments. Um, one of the reasons for that, I've heard reports of sand clogging up the hook and loop, the adhesive on the uh, cat tourniquets and it not being quite so secure. So one of the more preferred tourniquets in a sandy environment tends to be your soft t tourniquets because it doesn't utilize that hook and loop. It just uses that pull through strap method uh, for getting it all cinched down and nice and tight. So that's uh, something that I noticed. And it's surprising to me that um, these uh, lifeguards weren't stocked already with um, with some tourniquets. I would assume that they might have one of those on a pouch, maybe even attached to their lifeguard buoy uh, for just such an occasion. But this was a really rare attack. Uh, according to the research that I was seeing, uh, this is the only the third attack in 114 years in this area. so it's very, very rare that anybody gets attacked in the area. So it's not one of those common things. So that might be, you know, another reason for, you know, their lack of tourniquets, but maybe they'll get some here in the future.
0: Right, right. Yeah, certainly we hope that they will too. Yeah. Uh, in some of the reading I was doing, it sounds like sharks in this area, they're, they're, they're not large sharks. And t- again, it's very apparent that shark bites or all-out attacks, if you will, are... Uh, quite rare. I mean, you just mentioned like three of them in 100 plus years. Uh, this was the the most recent attack after like 70 years. Uh, and so, and this is a fairly busy beach from the sound of it. So that gives you an idea. That this is not something that was, you know, expected, certainly. Um, it's probably more of like a fluke. And that the sharks in that area t- tend to be a bit smaller uh, than what you might encounter in some other uh, probably warmer water environments like down south uh, Florida or California off, off the coast there. So, um, you know, so rest assured if, if you're like, hey, I don't want to go in the water now in the northeast there, you're, you're probably uh, okay, right? You know, nothing right. to be too concerned about. Well, but they the bigger actually... Lesson-
1: They actually closed down the beach just to be safe and all that kind of stuff. They put out drones to try to track and see where the sharks were at. But because the water was so murky, they couldn't actually tell what was beneath the water. So they just wound up closing down the the whole beach. And some of the experts were saying that they felt um, that due to the wounding pattern, the teeth marks, that it was probably a bull shark or maybe a thresher shark uh, that was in the area. So... Something that's a little bit smaller, it's not going to actually eat a human, it didn't intend to eat a human, but then it wound up doing it anyway. And I think some of the most important takeaways for this, you know, medically would probably be: um, one, bleeding control is absolutely essential, having a tourniquet ready and ready to go, you know, a quality one that we know is going to work is going to be essential. You know, um, you don't want to be improvising on the spot unless you absolutely have no other choice. So being able to prep that ahead of time by having some medical gear, of course, is going to be essential for that. And I think, uh, you also definitely need to be paying attention to keeping your casualty warm after losing a lot of blood like that. There's a very high risk of hypothermia setting in, especially with the cold water and everything like that. Even if they're out in the sun. And it's a nice, warm, hot summer day, you still have this risk, substantial risk of hypothermia setting in. And once you start to have uh, a a victim who is along a little bit further in years, about 65, like this victim is, you tend to see a much lower recovery chance, especially if they become hypothermic. So if we want to make sure that they have the best chance of recovering from this severe injury, we got to make sure that we're keeping them nice and warm and stabilized and uh, watching out for hypothermia.
0: Yeah, yeah. Really good notes there. Uh, so, as was mentioned, and you, you detailed it, I think, pretty well, um, there, there was the use of a couple of tourniquets here. The first one, of course, being an improvised one, as you described, uh, the, the lanyard or rope from a lifeguard's buoy and so i mean hey if you don't got a tourniquet i mean what other choice you got you get you better you better improvise and you better know how to improvise well right 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 uh, i know that, that's something you've done some content on a little bit uh, why don't we just touch real quick i mean even though it's we're gonna we're gonna end up spending some time talking about actual commercially available tourniquets and kind of what's out there and what's you know what's considered to be i, I guess probably industry leading and, and probably you know the a recommended way to go. I mean, what are some of the other newcomers? But why don't, why don't you touch a little bit on the idea of an improvised tourniquet and what are some important considerations? Should you have to do this? Maybe some what to do's, but also what not to do's when it comes to improvisation.
1: All right. Yeah, no problem. So I've got, like you said, I've got some uh, videos on this on my YouTube channel, so feel free to go check those out. But first and foremost, the most important thing to think about when it comes to improvising medical gear is that we never ever wanna do it unless we absolutely have to. When you're improvising gear, it's because you have no choice and things are really, really bad. If we have the opportunity to prepare ahead of time, we should absolutely be doing that. We should not be stocking our trauma kit with improvised medical gear. This is one of those things that I hear pretty often in the uh, medical world, tactical tampons, right? The idea mm. is, is that you can pack a wound with a tampon. Can you? Yeah, kind of. I suppose maybe, but there's maybe with quite, like
0: 20 of them,
1: <laughs> a, a lot of them and a lot of time, maybe, and it's not going to be the best method. They actually make good wound packing material designed for that purpose. And it's a much better product. So I wouldn't go to all of the expense and the time and the effort to prepare something when there's already an excellent option out there for that. The second thing that we need to consider is that belts are not good tourniquets. A lot of times I'll hear people say, I'm not going to carry a tourniquet. I'm wearing a belt. Well, in my view, if I am a gunfighter or if I am a prepared citizen with lots of tools on my belt, like a spare magazine, a gun, a flashlight, whatever the case is, I need my belt to hold my pants up. I need to be able to move and handle any kind of threat that's coming my way. My belt is an essential piece of kit, and I'm not going to be giving that up to hand it off to a casualty when I can have other, better options in play. The second thing that you need to pay attention to is especially when it comes to a tourniquet is that you're unlikely to get adequate occlusion of an artery unless you use a windlass of some kind. This is why windlass tourniquets are so effective is because they get very, very tight and they're able to occlude that artery through all the tissue. When you have somebody who might be overweight or they have a lot of muscle in their thigh, they just have those big old jacked thunder thighs there's lots of tissue in between the tourniquet and uh, the femur, you're going to get less occlusion on that artery because there's just so much tissue in between. So you want to take that into account. If you're going to use a cat tourniquet, you might need to use two cat tourniquets to apply enough pressure to get that uh, leg stabilized. Now, coming back to the improvised tourniquet, we might not get that adequate occlusion. If all I'm doing is wrapping that leg with a rope and trying to pull it tight enough, there's a good chance I'm not going to get it tight enough to get occlusion of that artery. Now, I don't want to knock it, right? Obviously, it worked in this situation, but there's better methods or, for handling or, or worked
0: well enough in this situation for a time.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of the point here. So what probably happened is that they were able to slow the blood, the bleeding enough for EMS to arrive with the proper equipment to get that bleeding stopped. So that's probably what occurred. So we don't wanna have to do that unless we absolutely have no choice. If we have the time to prepare for a situation, we wanna get that medical gear staged ahead of time because it's going to be much faster, much more efficient and probably save the life more quickly. The other problem that you tend to have is that if you're trying to make a proper tourniquet with the items that you have around you, What's your casualty doing while you're trying to find all those items? Bleeding to death, right? Yep. So this is a time issue. So if we don't have a choice, we just have to make it work. Then we don't have a choice. We got to make it work. But we don't want to do that unless we absolutely have to. Getting some medical gear and get it staged ahead of time is going to solve that problem for you.
0: Yeah. yeah, but and people, I think, overlook the potential effectiveness as well and simplicity. Yeah of just applying direct pressure as well, which may work as well, if not better than what some of these improvised tourniquets would, would do.
1: Right. Excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Direct pressure. You, if you have no other materials, direct pressure is going to be your best bet. The only time that a uh, you should start to try to improvise a uh, tourniquet is if One, you've got somebody to have help. They're holding direct pressure on the wound, and then you can go around and find all the stuff that you need to make that tourniquet. Or two, you have so many casualties that you have no choice, and you can't hold direct pressure on enough wounds. You're just going to have to make a tourniquet and hope it's going to work. So excellent point. Absolutely. Direct pressure. If you have no other medical gear, you have no other choice, direct pressure will save somebody's life the best way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and again, it was interesting from one of these articles, like you mentioned, that it stated from the local fire chief, I think it was, where he stated that, like, her artery literally came out of her leg. Uh, I'm not necessarily advising this, but I guess an option could be that you could actually get a hold of that artery and close it off.
1: Uh, Pinch it. Yeah. Uh, all you got to do is yeah, if you can see that yeah, it's because i assume what happened was a shredding motion as those yep. teeth shredded that tissue and exposed that artery ripped part of it free and if you yeah absolutely if you see it it's kind of gross and you gotta you know you gotta kind of put on your big boy pants but you reach over there and you pinch <laughs> that that's an yeah. excellent way of controlling that bleeding absolutely yeah like the direct method <laughs> yeah that's as direct as it gets right yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, pretty, pretty crazy stuff here. You know, I, I, it took me a minute here. I was uh, trying to pull up the, the images. Um, so just, uh, to show a couple, you know, what we're talking about, those of you that are uh, watching live with us. So I got an image here of the uh, first responders uh, working on this lady on the beach. Uh, so it's hard to tell exactly, um, what stage we're at here, you know, if they had, if they were still using the improvised tourniquet or what. Um, uh, but also, um, on this image, uh, wait. I selected the wrong thing here. Uh, we'll get back to here. We go. It'll be this one. Uh, you'll see actually where she's like laying on a gurney or whatnot, and it's it's you know blurring out the actual wound itself, but you can definitely see how uh, severe it is. And this orange thing you see going across her legs actually uh, a restraint, a seat belt of sorts uh, that are that is used on a gurney to keep the the patient. In place, but just above the wound on our leg, you see this other orange strap. Oh, there's some also like orange clothing or towels or whatever, but there's an orange strap and a little hint of the actual tourniquet there, the windlass. And it lo- it's going through this like tri-buckle shape thing, this triangular shape buckle, which is indi- indicative of like a soft uh, tourniquet, SOF tourniquet. So... Just thought I'd uh, share some of those images with those of you um, that, uh, you know, may be curious. And the other thing I noted here, Brian, is we see just how high up this wound was and how high and tight, quite literally, this tourniquet had to be applied. And that can sometimes you know, be problematic if the if you can't get the tourniquet high enough.
1: Absolutely. If you can't get it up high enough, then you have to go to essentially... Uh, direct pressure on that junction and maybe a uh, junctional packing the wound if possible. Um, yeah. but that would be a pretty bad situation for sure. I know some shark bite victims they'll tend to be on a surfboard doing paddling and then they'll get bit and they'll have a chunk taken out of their side too. Um, there's nothing you could do for that. You know, tourniquets aren't going to help that. No amount of chest seals is going to fix that, fix that situation. Um, so uh, sometimes you just can't save people.
0: Yeah. Yep. But fortunately, this, this woman seems to be doing okay. They, you know, she was initially in pretty bad shape, critical condition, but I understand that she has uh, been upgraded to serious condition in the hospital, recovering, expected to recover. Uh, I'm sure she's got a lot, you know, to get through and, and likely a number of surgeries. I would guess as is often the case with, uh, such significant wounding, like what this one appears to be. So, uh, let's shift gears though I mean now we've talked about this incident I think enough and kind of broken it down and as far as how this went down and, and what was used and some things we can learn because of that but let's now talk Brian about uh, the actual you know current tourniquets that we are seeing commercially especially commercially av- available tourniquets I mean you mentioned as we noted that the uh, first responders didn't seem at least you know lifeguards on the beach and maybe some of the initial Law enforcement response didn't seem to have uh, some commercially available tourniquets, but uh, you know they did. They worked with what they had, and eventually EMTs were able to arrive and get a proper one applied, and, and which for which we're thankful. Great lesson learned that hopefully uh, some of these organizations involved, whether it's the lifeguards, whoever oversees them, uh, of course uh, law enforcement, which I think in this case the uh, responding agency was NYPD. Uh, it's we're seeing more and more LEOs carrying tourniquets right on their person, in a pouch. Sometimes attached even to the front of their holster, or sometimes just on their belt somewhere. Uh, but for those that you know really want to know, I mean, I think a lot of people are again are, are are figuring out that hey, I should have a cat tourniquet or maybe a soft tourniquet. But there's actually a lot of options on the market now. Not all are created equal, but let's talk about that now. What what? You know, what are some of the latest technology we're seeing?
1: Well, um, most of the time, like I already said, uh, the sandy environments, the soft tourniquet is pretty well respected. So there's a lot of people who really like that tourniquet because it works so well and it has such a great track record. I've used it on people before and I've seen it work as well. And then you don't have the problem with the hook and loop, uh, becoming all gummed up with, uh, the additional sand, um, The other styles of tourniquets that I've seen, uh, there's one that I found called the OMNA, O-M-N-A. It is a ratchet style tourniquet um, that's designed to be uh, used. It's attached essentially to the cuff of a um, um, surfboard lanyard um, Mm -hmm. so that you can, uh, if you do get bit, that you can take that off and apply it one-handed and uh, take care of any bleeding that you might have. Um, so those are the primary ones that um, I think would be the, uh, the most beneficial or the ones to kind of pay attention to. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure, though, that you're getting, if you are going to get a cat tourniquet and use that as your favorite tourniquet, then you might want to check out um, or, or make sure that you're getting them from a reputable source. A lot of times, uh, if you get them from Amazon, they'll be fake from, from China and uh, they will not function for you very well. They're actually seeing those get shipped over to the Ukraine, and uh, it's getting people killed over in um, the conflict right now because uh, they're coming out of China, and they're made from with subpar uh, materials. So pay right. attention to that.
0: Right. And I put up on the screen here for those viewing uh, the aquatic marine tourniquet or the OMNA, as you mentioned, O-M-N-A Marine Tourniquet, uh, which I had never heard of until, um, you know, before today, which, you know, really the, the design of this looks an awful lot like the RMT or the Ratcheting, what is it, the Ratcheting Medical Tourniquet, I think is what RMT stands for. Yeah. Or something to that effect. Um and uh, what's interesting about this, and maybe you could t- touch on this a little bit for us, uh, since this is this is specific to the marine environment, uh, meaning a saltwater environment, and of course this is where the shark attack occurred was in a saltwater environment. Uh, what's your understanding about the uh, you know effectiveness and uh, durability of tourniquets? in a saltwater or marine environment i know you touched a little bit on the potential for things like sand to create some challenges for things like the hook and loop that's used in some tourniquets especially like the popular cat tourniquet which again is why you mentioned the soft tourniquet seems to be a good choice a lot of times for uh, those types of environments but uh this one I noticed in reading the description says it's the first and only marine tourniquet designed for in water application and marine environment
1: durability. So, your thoughts on that? I I expect that to be a bit of a marketing ploy. Um, I don't think I've never heard of there being an issue with any of the current mm-hmm. tourniquets being in uh, salt water. Um, I know the cat tourniquet doesn't have any metal parts at all. And the soft T has aluminum grade quality materials that it uses for its windlass. So I've never heard of it becoming an issue, um, so I suspect that's more of just a marketing thing. It's the only one designed for it specifically, I suppose. Um, now reading the specs of it, I, you know, you can see that it's supposed to be withstand, uh, the, uh, caustic environments of the salt water a little better, but as far as I've, I've never encountered any issues with the soft tea or the cat, um, having any issues in salt water. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's why we brought you on as your, uh, recognized expert in this stuff.
1: I, I hear all the rumors.
0: <laughs> um, you know, that's something that, uh, I, I, hadn't even considered until, uh, well, until this incident, right. You know, so it makes you kind of wonder about these kinds of things.
1: Well, a bo- uh, all of this is a, is a big deal. Having a trauma kid, if you have a boat and you enjoy water sports of any kind, you know it's a, it's important to have a uh, trauma kit. I know um there is Dan hudnit who is a special operations uh medic with D-Day. Uh he is an mm-hmm. avid uh spear fisherman. So he lives down in Florida, he goes out with just fins and a spear gun and shoots fish in the water all day. And I was talking to him about it and he's like, "I've always got a knife on me and I always have a tourniquet because essentially we're out there shooting fish, we're Chum in the water for sharks yeah. so there's a good chance we might get hit by a shark i want to have a tourniquet on me and i asked which one he uses and uh, i believe he has the uh, soft tee on his kit if i remember right and then i had a uh, one of my marines when i was in the military one of his uh, um, in-laws fell off the back of a boat his son fell into the water he jumped into the water to save his son and uh, the propeller blades chewed his leg apart and he almost died and yeah, so it happens yeah. all the
0: time. Yeah. I was thinking about that as well, that, I mean, in like even Jay here, uh, viewing, uh, right now live with us on Facebook, you know, posted a moment ago about how this is a prime reason why he never swims in the ocean. Uh, but not, not just talking about like shark attacks or shark bites, but there's a lot of different ways that people can get injured severely, uh, participating in aquatic, uh, you know, activities, uh, like you just said, you know, it could be the prop of a boat could be actually, you know, I have heard of people accidentally getting impaled by their own fishing spear, you know, and that, that could potentially, uh, sever an artery or something on, on a limb or something. Uh, it could be, uh, I mean, sometimes people have, uh, gotten severe cuts, on, on things like reefs and other underwater, um, uh, bio life or bio or bio, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, so there's a lot of different, uh, possibilities that could happen. You know, it might be that you're wakeboarding or something else and, um, you know, you just, you just never know things can happen. So really good advice to have a trauma kit with you on the boat to have a tourniquet with you on the boat or on your person, it's not hard to do. And there's a lot of options again, now coming back to some of the, you know, we're seeing more and more products. Let me just, you know, I thought I would just throw at, at you here. Um, we've got, I've actually got pulled up here right now. The, um, the current, as far as I know, the, the latest and greatest, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Committee on C, or the Committee on Tactical Combat Casualty Care, which, I mean, there's there's really not any one organization that, um, say, certifies tourniquets or approves tourniquets or that kind of thing. And not, that's not even what this, the uh, Council on TCCC does, but they do have what they call their recommended tourniquets or recommended devices and adjuncts list. And so I've got that, uh, pulled up here and just to review it with folks, uh, everyone's familiar or should be familiar with the cat tourniquet, the combat application tourniquet, the gen sevens most recent, which is what uh, is recommended. They still list the gen six, but they say it's ultimately replaced by the gen seven. You got the ratcheting medical tourniquet, the RMT, which I mentioned a moment ago, which is, looks very similar in design to that aquatic marine tourniquet. Uh, we've got the SAM extremity tourniquet, which is also known as the SAM XT. You got the soft tourniquet. I, I noticed they've changed the name of that tourniquet. We've called it the soft T or soft T wide for years now. And I've noticed uh, on uh, TAC Med's website, they just are calling it the, the SOF tourniquet, soft tourniquet now. And that yep. one's on this list, of course. Then you got the tactical mechanical tourniquet which is a TMT tourniquet, and then the TX2 and TX3 tourniquets, which are both made by the same company. And I think the only difference is the width of them. Uh, and those are currently what's on the the uh, committee on uh, TCCC uh, recommended list. But there's a bunch of others in recent history that I've been seeing uh, come to market and or making waves. uh what's what's your thoughts there and what's some of the stuff that you've seen
1: so primarily um there are a lot of ones that have good potential but primarily you don't see any that have the track record that the soft or the cat tourniquet has it's kind of hard to beat those they already work really well so any new designs on that tourniquet they haven't been significant enough for me to want to make a the jump So one of the main benefits of the cat tourniquet and the soft is just the exorbitant amount of data that says that it works. And any of these new tourniquets that are coming to the market have none of that data because they haven't been used nearly as many times. So are they proven? No. Do I want to trust my life to something that isn't been very well proven? Not really, unless I have to. So that tends to be where I stand on it is that are there great options out there that are totally worth it and might work perfectly as like everything else? Yes. Am I willing to kind of risk it? No, not really personally. Um, the only one that I can kind of say that might be worth the look is going to be that uh, Snake Staff systems, uh, that very small EDC um windlass style tourniquet that just came out that doesn't have the track record but according to the d- the uh developers of that they've been working very closely with a uh, north american rescue to develop that tourniquet so it's coming based on their expertise as well so that helps to kind of stabilize that product a little bit uh for that for that um so that tends to be my theory and philosophy when it comes to tourniquets and selection
0: yeah yeah yeah. And that, that one, you're right. The sneak staff one I've been seeing quite a bit of, uh, it's been, you know, I, I, I see quite a bit of social media posting about it. Uh, cause it's been, uh, I think, well, it's number one's kind of the new and late, latest and greatest, uh, hotness. And so people I think kind of get excited about it and they're getting excited about it too, because it's a pretty small footprint compared right. to, compared to some of these other tourniquets, including those that are on the TCCC the recommended list. Uh, the, but you're you're spot on, and this has been my thought. And I've been seeing some, even some pretty reputable people, you know, sort of speaking, uh, so highly of like this some of these newer ones, especially like the snake staff one. It's like, okay, I understand that that we can look at at the product and and probably have a pretty good sense of you know just based on design whether it's going to be effective or not. We can look at. Um, how it's constructed and probably make some pretty good assumptions. We can look at even some early testing data, meaning where people actually, whether it's done on some kind of testing dummy or whether it's actually done on on a live person and you're using something like, uh, like uh, um, um, sonogram uh, to, you know, measure the flow of blood through the limb after the tourniquet before and after the tourniquet has been applied. And we can make some pretty strong assumptions but until it's really been thoroughly tested, and frankly, the only legitimate organization that does that kind of level of testing and vetting of these types of products being the Council on T Triple C, until they kind of sign off on something, um, I'm definitely going to you know hold out some some reservation for such uh, newer type products. I do think we're probably relatively close to an update. On the Council on Teacher recommended list, as I for a while there it looked like they were doing updates um, close to yearly in some cases. At the very least, about every other year, uh, and in the current list at least. The most recent one that I'm seeing is as of December of 2021, and here we are in 2023. So, and I suspect that they are well aware of some of these newer products, including the Snake Staff one, and are very likely looking at and evaluating uh, these, these newer tourniquets. And so we'll right. see if an updated list comes out at some point here. In the- well, I mean,
1: uh, TCCC, the committee for TCCC is notoriously, does not come out very often with new lists like that was the first time in 2021. That was the first time they had said anything in like 10 or 15 years, I think, or something like that. And it's actually quite the topic of contention among all of these tourniquet companies, um, because most people don't give your tourniquet a chance unless it's been approved by the T committee. And you're not going to get those big beefy government contracts that all of these tourniquet companies really, really want. So, uh, Talking to a lot of the people who produce these newer tourniquets, they're very upset that their tourniquets aren't being considered or haven't been approved by the TCCC committee because most people use that as the basis for whether or not these tourniquets are worth anything or not.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I oh, I did find some evidence. I found on a, a, a on a website where it had actually listed the their list the, the TCCC committees list where there were updates in 2019 and also in, uh, 20, I think 18 or 2017. So I think it in more recent history, they've been updating a little more frequently than probably what they did for, you know, some time there, probably through probably the bulk of uh, GWA, I would guess. Um, and for, for, in case folks don't understand, like, I, I think it's fair that people place a lot of weight on the recommendation of this committee because it is made up of and comprised of a number of very, uh, experienced and, um, you know, recognized experts in the field of trauma medicine, uh, because many of them are combat veterans that have worked in combat hospitals, uh, and actually seeing these kinds of things used or tested. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, if you don't have any other organization, I don't know where else you look. And and definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in the, in, as far as being in the, of the frame of mind that I don't want to use life-saving gear unless I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert on it. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, I, I, I need to be told by a uh, trusted authority that, no, this has been tested. This will work. Uh, this is acceptable for life-saving use, you know. I mean, is that only fair?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's my opinion. You know, like I can't do the testing on it. You know, I've used these products in real time and I know that they work and all that kind of stuff, but, um, a lot of it kind of comes down to materials. You know, um, if their production process is not up to snuff, you know, even if I test a, a this tourniquet and it works perfectly well, maybe I get a lemon because their productivity or their production, uh, Q. What do they call it? The quality assurance isn't uh, isn't up to snuff. Then I'm dead too. You know. Even if they do use good quality materials, maybe they don't have a good production method or whatever the case is. So I'd rather not risk it, especially if I'm applying this to one of my kids or my wife. Now I'm just going to go for the thing that I know is going to work for sure, and I'm just going to use that. Yeah. Yeah, and as
0: you mentioned earlier, it is super important that people buy life-saving gear, uh, especially in the case of like these tourniquets, from vetted and trusted sources. I would not advise people to look for tourniquets on Amazon, as it is very difficult to uh, ascertain the authenticity of products on there. I've even seen evidence of products sold where it's very apparent that the counterfeiter is using images of the real thing and then what people are actually receiving is is the non real thing, uh, and so very very misleading practices. I, I think probably some of those stores have been shut down, but I think probably new ones just pop up. And you see this evidence even right in the in their own listings and the reviews on some of those listings, where it's like you see the product image, you're like, oh, that looks like a genuine Cat Seven, and in fact they're using the actual images <laughs> from North American Rescue. And then you look in the reviews and look at the reviews with images, and that's where you're like, oh yeah, this is clearly uh, this is this is fraudulent. Um, so what what are, I mean, obviously, MountainAndMedical.com would be a trusted resource for uh, uh, you know buying tourniquets and other life saving medical trauma medicine uh, type gear. Uh, I mean, tell us about a little bit about where is mountain and medicals products sourced from and why is that important
1: so yes yeah we're uh, a reputable source some heads would roll around here if that were not the case i'd have (laughs) to kill some people no i think there's a certain place in hell reserved for people like that like i cannot imagine the amount of anger and rage that I would feel if I was applying this tourniquet to someone that I loved and cared about and see this thing crumble in my hands and watch that person bleed to death because somebody there is lying about um, the real medical gear. That is just unbelievable to me that somebody can do that and still sleep at night. Um, Yeah. So yeah, the primary way is just to make sure that you're buying from people who you know is reputable Um, One of the primary, I've got a YouTube video about this, of course, on my YouTube channel. It's actually the one that's done the best out of any of my videos. It's also one of the cringiest because it was my first YouTube video uh, (laughs) back in the day. But in that video, I document and show you how to identify a counterfeit, a fake cat tourniquet. Now, I don't know of any fakes uh, on the soft tee or any other reputable tourniquet out there on the market As far as I know, they're only going after cats. So maybe because they're easy to rip off, but there are some key ways to identify whether or not your cat tourniquet is a legit one. Um, Now, make sure, even if you got your kit from a reputable company, there are some companies out there who are stocking their trauma kits with fake cat tourniquets. I don't think that they're doing it maliciously, I think that they just don't understand the problem or the issue. They just don't have enough expertise to fill these kits with the proper stuff. So if you do have a a trauma kit, I suggest that you go in and take a look at that and double check to make sure that it's a legitimate cat tourniquet from North American Rescue, because it might not be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as was mentioned, you know, with respect to like Mountain Man Medical being, and Frank, and actually this is perfect because I'm a little bit late in doing a sponsor uh, message for the episode here. Uh, but Mountain Man Medical is sponsor of today's episode. Makes sense because you're here with us, especially. But Mountain Man Medical has direct accounts with all the major players. So uh, uh, North American Rescue, the manufacturer of the cat tourniquet, Tac Med Solutions, the manufacturer of the soft T tourniquet uh, nor uh, well, I mentioned North America, Rescue Tac Medicine, med see combat medical safeguard medical uh, and a number of these other uh, companies that, I mean, the, the, we don't, we don't deal through third parties. We don't go through uh, suspect, you know, sources for the materials that we buy that go into our kits. So it's, I think it's important that people know that uh, some of those companies were difficult to get set up with for, direct dealer buying, uh, for us to, 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 you know, put together for our products and our kits. Uh, but you know, we, we stayed, you know, diligent on that kind of stuff. I know you were diligent on, uh, making some of those connections so that we could have these uh, opportunities to buy directly from the sources for these, these, uh, these, these products. So just know that, uh, if you're buying from com you are buying legitimate, authentic, quality products that are known to be you know the the right ones to use for life saving gear. So that is super, super important to us. It's super important to Brian who uh, heads up that effort. So Mountain Medical.com again, sponsor of today's episode, that's the place to go uh, if you're looking at buying some kits or you can buy uh, products a la carte as well. If you're looking to resupply or restock a kit, maybe you bought a kit from another source and it generally looks pretty acceptable, but you want to add some things to it or replace some counterfeit items, uh, you can buy the, the real things from us. Also, today's episode is sponsored by handgundrills.com. Just going to get this one out of the way. Handgundrills.com. I know it probably seems a little uh inconsistent with the topic of today's inform or today's episode, but you know, this is primarily a concealed carry and shooting focused uh, podcast. Uh, and we just had to happen to have the opportunity to talk about some of these medical-related things here today. And so if you're looking for a great one-stop kind of shop for a comprehensive list of handgun shooting drills because you care enough to practice, to train, to make yourself better uh, as a shooter. Head on over to handgundrills.com. Uh Steve and team over there has done a great job to build up a fabulous website with amazing resources to make that easier, easier to find the drills uh, in one place and also to get the targets to be used with those drills. So appreciate your support of our sponsors, which includes handgundrills.com and, as we mentioned, mountainmedical.com. So, um, Brian, as we're kind of coming down here closer closer to the end of the podcast, what are some, I don't know, is there anything else that you're like, hey, we got we got to get this off my chest kind of thing or, or other things that we need to hit on relevant to this topic today?
1: Yeah, I would say first and foremost, like medical skills are not difficult. They let people like me do it. You can do it too. (laughs) Don't forget direct pressure. That's probably going to do the best benefit for you. If you don't have a trauma kit, direct pressure, that's going to save a lot of lives. Come out to Mount Man Medical, get you a good trauma kit, check out our emergency trauma response course. It's totally free, and it'll teach you about tourniquets and wound packing and chest seals and everything else you need to know about how to use all the stuff in your trauma kit.
0: You know, speaking of the emergency trauma response free course on mountmanmedical.com, we learned something interesting somewhat recently. We were talking about this last week. Actually, as we were looking back through... The history of all those that have taken that course and noticed some trends, meaning noticed quite a few people from government agencies. And in some cases, like whole departments of certain agencies that were taking this course. And, uh, that, that was, I mean, I was part of the production on that. You're obviously the, the main guy, you know, teaching that content in that course, but I was, I was a bit taken aback and humbled to see the, the, the number of, I mean, besides the whole number of people receiving this free training, but also the number of law enforcement and federal and state and county and other government agencies relying upon that course to train their people as well. So, wow, I mean, I, I, I almost got kind of chills thinking about it
1: that feels pretty good. You know, (laughs) I put, it's the first course I've ever done. I, I should redo it because, you know, I could add extra things and make it a little bit better. Um, but I've got a lot of comments from like doctors and other paramedics and other uh, combat medics saying that it was a good course and they uh, liked how it was done. And it is cool to have some of those departments, you know, tell us that they're, they're using our course to train their people. Um, and I'd love to see that because, you know, a lot of times these, these, uh, these small departments don't have the budget to really go out and get that training and online training is never going to be as good as in-person training, right? It just won't be, but it's better than nothing. And that feels good to see, you know, you've got gunslingers out there using my stuff and that feels pretty good. But I would say the coolest report that I've ever got was that uh, a scout master said that he was teaching. uh, He had his uh, boy scouts go through my course to teach them bleeding control uh to get their merit badge. And I thought that, that was super cool. That I think that's the coolest cool. thing I saw.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, this free video training course right on com. If you haven't done it, you should just go ahead and, you know, get done with this podcast and head on over there and get signed up uh, and just go through it. And just take you a couple of hours. Um and then, you know, because it's so readily available and you could just do that in the comfort of your home or office or wherever you are. And at at your own pace. A good next step would probably be what? Go find a free, because they often are, or at least very least, very low cost, Stop the Bleed course, which you can find and get signed up for at uh, stopthebleed.org. Uh, you could go get signed up for, and they're not usually free. Sometimes you find some, some opportunities here and there, but they're still relatively low cost. You could go get signed up for a, uh, a CPR, AED first aid course, perhaps. Uh, you could check out organizations like American Heart Association, Red Cross, and a few others out there that put classes like that on. Um, and that's an actual certification you know, with hand, I mean, stop the bleed is maybe not necessarily a certification, but it is a hands-on uh, training course. Typically, I think they have virtual ones now too of that, even. But, um, uh, but the uh, like American Heart Association uh, CPR AED first aid courses, uh, those are very much hands-on, and that's a great next step. And above that, you could go and seek out some additional more advanced courses. Uh, there's some great training events where you get this opportunity. Uh, we've seen some. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the Guardian Conference where you're teaching, Brian, uh, or the Active Self-Protection National Conference, or earlier this year. Uh, again, you couldn't make it, but we did have a, a great team filling in and doing that on, on our behalf, representing our organization at the Girl and the Gun Conf- National Conference. I uh, hope to see you there next year. And um, even like events like Mickey Shook's uh, or Carrie Trainers. Uh, s twelve event that he puts on once or twice a year, where you actually you actually get TCCC uh, certification going through that course that's put on there at that event, and you've been to that one as well, uh, and 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 been involved in teaching some of that too. So, uh, so there's kind of I guess maybe some s- relatively simple uh, roadmaps in kind of order, I suppose of you know, free and low cost being our virtual course to stop the bleed, to CPR first aid, to, you know, above and beyond that even.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you wanted to go and become an EMT, that's definitely a little more of a time thing, but it's something you'll use for the rest of your life. And they also have first responder courses where it's essentially like a more in-depth, um, better training type of uh, medical stuff so that you can handle an emergency more efficiently and of course come over to the Mountain Man Medical YouTube channel that, that's my primary topic is how do we handle mer- emergencies more efficiently you know I think that's one of the most important things for any medical problem it's an emergency and how do we keep ourselves nice and calm and make the greatest benefit for the greatest number of lives
0: Amen to that brother Oh, that's excellent. Any any final words for you before we uh, sign off?
1: I think that's it. Come over and see me at uh, on YouTube, Mountain Man Medical. We're on Instagram and all of the TikToks and Facebooks. So come check us out. <laughs> give us a follow. Give us a like. Come out to a class.
0: Sounds good, man. It's a great place uh, to, I think, wrap it up. And so uh, one one more reminder of our episode sponsors, mountainmanmedical.com and handgundrills.com. And this has been yet another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Thank you to every one of you that's been with us, whether live or if you're listening or watching us after the fact. Until next time, folks, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.